Welcome back to Your 12:30, the podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of only 12 questions and ideally 30 minutes. Today we are thrilled to be joined by Andrew Zimmer. Andrew and his wife Tracy manage and own a Zimmer Law Firm. Tracy's the legal brains and vision, and Andrew figures out how to get there, bring in more clients, and become more profitable. This started as an idea and has grown to a million-dollar business in only five years. But after all of this, oh, but excuse me, but before all of this, Andrew was an engineer and a manager at Northrop, Grumman, Rolls-Royce, and Bechtel. He had, for lack of a better word, what a lot of people think, quote-unquote, they want. He solved unique problems, worked at a large company, and had a great mission vision. Nice pay, awesome benefits, and five weeks of PTO. But there was a problem. He hated everything about it. And that's where we're going to stop. Andrew, welcome. We are thrilled to have you here today. Oh, thank you for having me. So as I read that, stumble through most of it, what do you remember hating the most about that life? Um, I think the biggest thing that I hated was that I felt truly challenged and that I was really tapping into my full potential only a couple of days a year. I feel like the rest of it was a lot of glorified paperwork and kind of going through the motions and carrying out something someone else did. And so as a person who really loves to to solve really hard problems and do some, I feel like special unique work, it was really a small percentage of the time that, that I got to do that. All right. So I want to get into how you fix that for sure. But as you, as a bio references, you had a role that at least if not people want, think they want, what specifically didn't left you underwhelmed or left you feel that there was more to, to give? Was it, was it, it sounds like it was the day to day, but if you could give kind of an example of something that left you wanting more. Yeah. I mean, a lot was in that day to day of, you know, you could have three, four weeks, sometimes even months of just working on these long projects where you had such a small piece. And again, there was a teamwork piece that was fantastic, but you just weren't solving anything really. You were just kind of going through the motions, double checking what somebody else did, signing off on it and moving ahead. And I had really gotten into engineering from, do you remember the scene in Apollo 13 when they dump all the gear out and they go, you know, we've got to make the, the oxygen canister of this size fit into this hole? Go. I thought there was a little bit more of that in engineering and reality. It was a lot of just send emails around, status reports, and that was it. And I think I always had in my mind that I could do more. I had some friends in different industries doing anything, just loving what they did, being fully fulfilled, feeling they really contributed. And I just always went, nope, that's not what I'm doing. So I've got to figure out how to get there. And Tracy had that with her legal career, came home every day going, I loved it. My day flew by. I can't wait to kind of go back to work tomorrow. This is so much fun. And went, well, there's something wrong here because I don't feel any of this. Do you remember the conversation or the moment when you decided this is what I'm going to do? I do. Um, you know, so the, the law firm had been started up. It had been running for about mm, four months. We started laying out this idea that I would come in at some point, hopefully within three years, definitely within five. And so you fast forward to about eight months of the, the law firm being in existence and Tracy came to me one day and said, here's the deal. We're not going to hit those numbers and get to that point for you to come in unless you do it to free me up. You know, this is going to be the catch 22 of you have to be here all day to help us get there. You've been talking about it. Do you want to do it or not? And so I can remember us sitting around the dinner table. We had our, just the daughter at the time. So you know, one child, she went to bed and we were up and we just kind of walked through it, double checked the financials. And she said, are you in or out? Because if not, I'm hiring a replacement. And I said, I'm in. I drafted a notice and took it to my boss the next day. 
Very nice. I, I, I love that visual of you sitting around the table like, this is it. We're doing this moving forward. And then you make the decision to, to tag along. How did that solve the, well, we'll call it the problem, or at least the opportunity that your current role at that time presented where you felt that there was, there was more to do? What was, what was discussed at that table? It was like, yes, this is going to tap into more things that I'm interested in. So from the, you know, even pre-founding of the firm, right? So, you know, it started in March, but January, 2017 through it kicking off in March and then all of uh, 2017, I was helping Tracy as much as I could in the evenings as kind of a second job um, and on the weekends. And so I was seeing how much fun I was having and trying out these new areas and realized that as a person who could critically think, solve problems, dove in and kind of just said, I can figure it out. I might not have the background, but I can go spend 10 or 15 hours, go down the rabbit hole and, and understand this at a high level. Um, I realized that that was way more fun. I was having more fun coming home, learning how to do QuickBooks, learning finance and accounting topics I'd never been into. That was way more fun for me than being an engineer all day. And so it, you just kind of knew if I can do that all day long, that's going to be way more fun and way more fulfilling for me. Very nice. How do you... Well, job title or how, when you're describing to somebody what you do who's not familiar with your background, how do you introduce them to it and what do you tell them that you, you do most days? Yeah. Um, typically, I say, you know, Tracy is a fantastic attorney and really good in the business and vision, but we make more money if she's being an attorney kind of doing the quote attorney stuff. And so I try to take off everything else as much as possible. And we meet up on the big core decisions or vision or kind of the way we want to take the business. And then I go figure out how do we make that happen so that she can get back to working with clients and being in the lane she's really good at. And so we don't have to overlap. I'm not going to go to law school and I'm not going to pretend that I'm ever going to do that or would be good in the legal field. Um, this is my strong suit. So this is where I stay. And that's how I think it functions so well. Nice. And especially to me, that makes a ton of sense. But I don't often see this in many businesses. Uh, most most fields, and then specifically in, in the law field, uh, it's one of the most traditional uh, that, that I've seen, and I can say that as an attorney myself. How how have you made it work is the first part, and I think that was part of it pretty clear the way you've talked about it with such passion. But secondly, why, do you, why don't you think more people try a dynamic or a, an operation as you've laid out so far? You, you know, it's hard. So we've got the dynamic that for us really works. I mean, we're married, and so there's a lot of trust, right? She doesn't have to say, I'm turning over the reins in these areas that traditionally, right? An attorney runs a practice and runs a business. She's been able to be very comfortable turn, kind of turning over a lot on the business end over to me because I'm fully vested in it. You know, I can't just walk away from this or have it kind of go away. I'm, I'm in 110%. And so I think that helps us. If you look at other people where, you know, spouses aren't going to work together, then you're looking at bringing a business partner because I think that's, I talk about this a lot. We are business partners from that aspect. What I'm not good at is tends to be what she's good at. What, you know, what she's not good at, I tend to be good at. So we've got some areas where we're both good at it and we don't have very much where neither, neither of us really has you know anything going on. And so you kind of take two people with a little bit of overlap and we turn into kind of a superhuman running a, a business where otherwise you're going, I can't do this. I struggle with this, just ignore it. Well, then one of us picks that up. Now, I love I love the way you describe that, the way that you kind of collaborate. And then most most interesting to me is the partnership piece, because uh, I feel that's another underutilized area that, uh, you know, I'm going to go it alone or do my best of this is because this is how it's been done. It was the way I've always done it and so forth. Um, but I think a true, a truly strong partnership is invaluable. You know, one plus one is more than two in those cases. Uh, Using your example or others out there, what is important when looking to either start, build, or 
uh, you know, kind of rebrand the partnership out there in your opinion? Yeah. Um, you're not going to go as far with a clone of yourself. It's so easy to get that tunnel vision and go, I want a me because I trust me, but then you're so limited because you're still going to have the same gaps, the same problems, the lack of you know, diverse thought. You know, I mean, so many of our discussions are me coming from an engineering background, nothing in the law going, why don't we do it this way? Why can't we? Okay. So ethics says you can't do this part. What about over here? What about this? How do we solve it this way? How do we move around? You know, my whole background is kind of poke holes and keep moving forward. And so I just look at it a different way. And sometimes we can't, sometimes we can, sometimes it brings up something we hadn't thought about and we kind of go down a sidetrack. And so I think when you look at a partnership, it's okay to think outside the box. It's okay to bring in someone different from you. You want to vet them and make sure they're professional and really have a strong skill set. But if you don't understand finance or marketing or sales, go bring that kind of a person in. If that's your bag, you don't necessarily need double that. Maybe you need someone on strategic vision or leadership or working with people more. Again, it's just kind of, it's like fill the gaps in because it takes a ton of effort to get good at something you're bad at. Um, it's easier to just bring someone in. That's very well put. And especially I like the piece where you started there, that it is kind of easier to hire somebody, not only that we like, but that mirrors what we're good at, what our personality is like, what our thought process might be, because that's, you know, of course we trust that. That's what I would have done. But that leaves either a larger gap, because now you've got two people overlapping, or one that you're not even considering. Uh, so I like the idea that even though it's, you know, this person is a, a clone of me, if you will, it doesn't really help my practice move forward. Uh, and you referenced that it is really two roles running a law firm and a lot of small business where there's the working in the business, the law, the practice, and then working on the business, running the operation and running it like an actual business. Uh, I do want to go back to one thing you said earlier because I don't hear it very often. You said that you love solving hard problems. First, why is that? And second, can you give us a, the uh, an example of the last hard problem that you solved? Sure. Um, yeah, I like it because... I like to be challenged. You know, I don't like to do the same thing every day or just kind of go through the motions or I like to come up with maybe the procedure or the process or the way to do it. But then I like to go make another one. I don't want to just go follow that for the next 20 years. Um, there's people that like that and that's fantastic, but I like to be solving. How do we do it? How do we make it more efficient? Um, you know, for a big, a big problem that we would have solved kind of recently, it would be, we've kind of revamped our intake system. So we had a process we used um, we used at the time Trello um, and a Kanban type workflow. And we were able to move that into, we use Clio. And so we use Clio Grow now. And so I had to build out the whole Clio Grow platform, what pieces worked from our old kind of Kanban Trello system, create some new pieces. Clio does a lot of things, but we are very particular. So there were definitely gaps and we went, well, we can't do this now. So how do we move against it? Not make it a band-aid, but just say, let's make a better solution. So it was a lot of like back to the whiteboard. What's really the right way to bring these people in, kind of run them through our, our funnel, get them moved down the sales process, get them engaged. And that was just a lot of, I like to take the time to uh, think through things before implementing. I hate to implement and then like rework it when you just say a couple more hours thinking through it and mapping it out. It could have been a more easy uh, implementation. So that was kind of the problems that we worked through is just all of these. Does the tool allow for it? It does this. It doesn't do this. How do we change this? We used to use Adobe um, sig uh, Adobe Sign for signatures and it's hello sign. So again, like conceptually, it's the same tool, but it functions differently. We had procedures and ways we ran through Adobe. We had to update and make changes for hello sign and things like that. And it's just, you, people don't think about that, but it all matters because we wanted it to be highly efficient. 
Thank you for that example. I just to clean up a little bit, Trello, Clio, the online tools that support that. You mentioned Kanban. If you could just talk a little bit about what that is to, to our listeners who may not be as familiar. Yeah. So um, it's definitely been around for a while. I feel like it's kind of fallen out of um, favor for a lot in the project management circles just because of Agile and Scrum and some other things that I don't even stay up on. But Kanban, it, in a nutshell, really comes from what are the tasks and things that I must do? And you kind of bucket them. You then have what's in progress as I take each of those tasks, I put it into an in progress and then either gets completed or gets kind of put on hold. And so the purpose of this is because then I can build up my team and say, who's doing what? And you get this concept of whip work in progress, right? So then it's, you can't just say everything tasks to you, everything you could do, you're not going to take it once because you can't work on all 75 things. So you're, you've kind of bounced between these two or three or five or whatever it is. So it's a, a good way to kind of see what's going on and can I manage the pipeline of work or not? We then take that and just kind of replicate instead of just work in progress, like a couple of columns or concepts of like where it is in the process. And that's worked really well for us for a lot of tracking. This episode of Your 1230 is brought to you by Accomplished RE, helping real estate agents achieve time, location, and financial freedom. Thank you for, for that illustration. It's very helpful. Um, and it kind of dovetails nicely with my next question. You mentioned procedures process, and that's a great way to not only manage and highlight them, but to know who's responsible for what and where you are in, in the life cycle as you manage that project. Um, but I, I found uh, that while procedures and process help make things run more smoothly, more efficiently, uh, A, people hate talking about them, and B, people hate implementing them equally as much. How can we, as, as people who are on board with stuff like that, uh, getting things processed, built out, and then refined, what, what's a good starting point for somebody who's kind of re, reinventing the wheel or starting from scratch each time? What would be an easy way for them to start using some of these tools, some of these ideas, or just this way of thinking? Yeah. So you know, my whole background is, is processes and procedures and standardization. Um, I tell people here when they come in, I say, there's plenty of work that's hard and we're going to put a lot of manpower and thought into that. We're not going to make the easy parts hard. We're going to make them really, really easy. And so you do that by having a process and a way forward, whether it's standard operating procedures, you know, SOPs, um, guide, you know, just guidance or kind of like these Trello and Kanban type tools where this is a defined flow that we're going to follow. And we, we take a look at, we do a lot of repeatable work. We're in estates and trusts, So we do a lot of wills. We do a lot of powers of attorney. We do a lot of trusts. Even when we do probate and it's a much larger project, it still breaks into the same like 85 steps or however you want to look at it. And so we just break things down to what is the repeatable part, what part matches every time there's going to be some deviation. And then we write around that and say, what's the best way to do this? Get the team's buy-in. If someone else is going, you know, actually I stopped using that procedure because it always breaks at this point and I changed it. Well, tell everybody, let's get everybody on board doing it this different way. And so we always are iterating through that, but you kind of always have to be looking at what is the same. You know, if I, when we intake clients, it's the same, they call in, they email in, we get some information, they get scheduled for a consult call. What do we talk about? How do we put together a proposal? And we've got like 15 blanket, uh, like template proposals that we use that kind of fits the things we do for people. There was a time that we wrote them by hand each and every time and went, oh my gosh, we keep doing the same one. I keep copying, pasting from the other one. Let me take an hour and a half and just build some templates and then we can be done. And I think that's just a better way to handle it. Um, 
but you kind of have to have that vision looking for where can I make this easier for myself? Yeah, and that's that's the example right there. If there are things that you in your business find that you are repeating multiple times a day, a week, a month, that it's if even if not it's an exact carbon copy, if you can take 30, 60, 90 minutes and use something that it's going to cut 20 minutes each time, you you'll be shocked at how uh, how much time you save in the long run, even if there is that, we'll call it a heavier lift up front. And that's that's the hard sell that I found is that, well, I don't have that 90 minutes because I'm so busy. It's like, well, if you took the step back, it, it often it can make things a lot easier. And your example really, really helps illustrate that. Uh, I also liked how you said, uh, we're not going to make the easy things hard. Because I, I also think that's where a lot of people go wrong, that, you know, if things are simple, things are easy, let's leave them that way. There's no reason to overcomplicate some of that stuff. You talked a lot about the partnership with you know working with Tracy working with your wife in, in in the office how is it working with your spouse do you drive to the office together do you have scheduled time apart uh, I'm guessing with the engineered background it's going to be structured but I'm interested to see how you answer that question yeah it is structured um, we do not drive together we only live seven eight minutes away so it's a couple of minutes plus just the way the schedules go and if somebody needs to leave you know to get kids from our nanny or something it gives a little bit of flexibility there we both keep really busy can't, uh, calendars, and so we respect each other's time just the way I want someone else to respect my calendar and I to them. And so typically, I have to grab time on her calendar, schedule a meeting when I need to talk to her about something during the day, because otherwise, it's pretty easy for us to be booked up for a couple of days straight. I think during the day at work, it's the easiest. Here, it's kind of easy to just kind of take off the spouse, you know, husband, wife hats and just sort of say, there's a partnership, there's employees, there's a team, common goal there. It's when we get home, we're hanging out with the kids. And if something's still in my mind, like, I really want to address this. She's like, it's dinner time. Like, I don't want to. Let's just hang out with the kids. That's where that can be harder or further on. Like, oh, she's zoned out. I'm, I'm just tapped out. Like, I can't deal with this anymore. I did marketing all day. I cannot think about this. And she's got something she wants to address or work on. That's where sometimes when you don't work together, there's stories, there's pieces to hear, how was your day, but you're not working on things together where it's easy for us to work kind of nonstop. So you have to set some boundaries or just be allowed to say, look, you can work tonight. I, I just can't, or I'm going to work by myself. Don't feel like you need to, but I want to work on this thing. And so we really try to respect once we get home, if we both don't agree, or if we're having a glass of wine talking about, you know, something we want to put into a new process or something it might be more high level, but we're not necessarily breaking out laptops working through it side by side because sometimes it's just too much yeah and that that kind of uh, helps the trust piece that you mentioned with the partnership that it is a little bit easier to have the partnership when it's your spouse because you have that pre-existing relationship you know each other's tendencies strengths and so forth but when you don't have that and even the example that you gave about uh, having each other's calendar putting time on there the respect piece comes first that it's you know i respect you enough to i'm gonna uh, understand what's in the calendar. I'm going to respect that time. And I'm going to ask, you know, I'm going to be uh, a priority on there, just like any, any of your other priorities and use the same process where it's supposed to, you know, it's me, I'm just coming, I'm just bursting through that door, yep. which is easy and which, uh, you know, is a, the, uh, the downfall of a lot of these work in life relationships. Uh, so we talked a little bit previously and then off before we hit record about things that you do outside of the office. But when you are not solving these difficult problems and you are uh, doing something for fun or a little bit less uh, structured, what, what do you do and how do you keep busy? Yeah, we spend a ton of time RVing. We got into it um, last year. We bought a, a travel trailer just kind of on a whim. It 
I had grown up camping. Tracy and I had camped a little bit um, before kids. And so said, maybe this will be something good to do. They're both getting a little older, um, three and six now. So said, you know, they're not you know, crawling and things. Let's give it a, a whirl. And we had a blast. It was just great time together. For whatever reason, we disconnect better. Even if there's internet at the campground, just something about being the RV, it's the change of environment that we're really good at just saying like, no phones, hang out with the kids. Don't worry about work. The team can handle it. And so then this year we bought a, a significantly bigger one. Um, we just got back from our 10th trip. We're hoping to make probably a total of 15 this year. And we try to get away for a lot of just long weekends, some longer trips here and there, but that's kind of our escape is every couple of weeks trying to get away for a couple of days, spend some great time with the kids, kind of reset and just not worry about work 24 seven. Cause it's so easy for us. I jokingly say I work with Tracy 23 and a half hours a day, but it's not really that far from the truth. So camping helps us just reset, worry about making a campfire. What are we going to eat over the fire? What are we making on the Blackstone? And like, that's the most important thing on my mind for a couple of days. It's really healthy, I think. So I'm going to follow up with plenty of camping questions, but you, without saying it, you said it, the advertisement for why you need structure, systems, and procedure in a business, even as one as high demand, high stress, high importance as yours, is you were able to take 10 to 15 vacations this year. I am confident in saying 90% of folks out there that either work small companies, big companies, they're not, they don't have that level of autonomy or flexibility because they don't have the commitment and the the, the ability to structure the day that you have. So I, I think that is the most re-endorsement as far as to why, why should I do any of these things? You know, everything's fine. It's like, well, we, did you take 15 trips this past year? Probably not. And did you have, you know, even if you don't want to do that, could you have if you wanted to? I think that's the bigger thing. So three and six-year-old, where are you sleeping? Are you sleeping in the RV? What are, what are they like on these trips? Uh, yeah. I, so we, so it's a, it's a fifth wheel. So it's one where the kind of the piece kind of goes up into the back of the truck um, getting there is probably the hardest. I have a big F three fifty dually that people yell and joke and go, I can't believe that's what you drive, but I like it. But the, it's a little bit tight from the aspect that, you know, so me and Tracy up front, the back two kids in car seats, and then we've two dogs so 80 pound German shepherd and 80 pound rescue. That's the same size. And they're all in the back. They're laying under the feet and it works. Once we get there, Tracy and I have a bedroom with a king size bed in it. So that's great. Um, the Owen, our son, he's got like a bedroom. And then there's actually a loft above it with uh, probably another king size bed that Maddie, our daughter gets. So everybody's got space. We like this one. It's got two sofas in it. So it's really big. Um, so that's what we liked was that everyone had their own area space. If we do have to take a call or do something for work, it's pretty easy to not a desk or something, but at least you can kind of go in the room, shut the door and take a 15 minute call and come back out and go handled, done, move on and done for the, the trip or whatever. So it's worked out really well. We really like the space. Okay. And do you sleep in the RV or do you sleep, do you camp out when you're out? No. So we, yeah, we sleep in the RV. Um, so we usually go to kind of these campgrounds where they've got, you know, electric and water and sewer connections and cable TV and things. It's just fun. You know, there's pools there, playgrounds, other kids, kids get to ride their bike. It's super usually flat and things. And just, we like doing playing outside. It's a lot of things maybe that we did as kids growing up where sometimes I feel like at home, we don't, you know, we break the Tonka trucks and they're playing in the gravel. And my daughter's got her Barbies out sitting around a pretend fake fire that she's making with little sticks and twigs and going, that was kind of what I did growing up with all these types of things. And it's good to see them doing it because it's easy to just say, here's your iPad. Here's whatever kind of fancy toy hang out with that or something. I feel like we get back to kind of what a lot of folks did maybe a couple of decades ago. And I don't think that's a bad thing. 
Absolutely not a bad thing. And even just the change of environments for the kids, I'm sure, helps them a lot just to see there's more out there than the, the day-to-day that they're in. Um, <clears throat> I, just to ask, do you have a work-in-progress slash Kanban system when you're at the campsite of who's responsible for what, where everything is, or are you is it more relaxed there? It is more relaxed there. I had an um, awesome professor in college who was also a fraternity brother. And, you know, so everybody, all, all of us in the end of the fraternity always you know, took, uh, you know, Father, Sher- Father Sean Clerkin's, you know, like acting class and theater classes and stuff. And I, I'll never forget, we were sitting there one time and, and I think one of his quotes that really stuck with me was, you know, everything in life, you know, you, you should use moderation in everything. You know, it's even okay to moderate the moderation. So it's okay that, you know, if you're hyper-structured to get away from it once in a while, you're going to go back, you know? And so it's even allowed, to, you're allowed to go to the extremes once in a while because you're allowed that difference. And so I think that's where we have our lists. We can get packed up really quick. We know what we're taking for food and what to run around for clothes and for camping gear. We're pretty structured that way. And then once we get out, it's kind of a don't worry about being so structured. Let's just kind of recalibrate for a couple of days and then we get back to it on the way home. Perfect. A great answer. Which jurisdictions are you in and what clients do you work with? Yeah. So right now, uh, Tracy and our other attorney are, are licensed in Pennsylvania. So while we're in the Pittsburgh area, we can and do take clients from all over Pennsylvania. Um, I'd say the majority are Western Pennsylvania, but there's times that if someone finds us from pretty far away, we're happy to work with them. Um, Tracy is in the process of it's almost finalized moving into Ohio um, from a licensing standpoint. So we're going to be able to branch into Ohio soon. So what we do is we help people with estates and trusts. So if they have, um, you know, they want to protect their family, understand what happens when they pass away from an asset perspective or protecting them or setting up trusts for kids or for, you know, a disabled grown adult child or things like that. That's what we help do. We just make sure that people have the peace of mind for these things that they don't understand how it's going to function and they don't have to. They just come to us and say, this is what I want to do. These are my concerns. And Tracy and the team design that plan. And then on the flip side, we'll carry out either the plan, whether we drafted and created it or someone else did, or if they don't have one and help administer the estate, if there's trust and, and take care of that whole side. And that's what we built the practice around. Excellent. And I'm glad you said it that way because I wanted to ask, we've discussed a good amount of how the operations is beneficial to the office, how it makes the workflow more efficient, more effective. How is the way you have structured and operate your business, how, is, how are your clients benefiting from that? We can actually tell them what to expect. It's not just come on in, we'll do estate planning, like we do the legal things and we'll figure it out. It's highly structured with you're going to, you know, you're going to be intaked, you're going to have a consult call that's complimentary. We're going to explain certain details. You're going to get a certain set of follow-up emails, the way we put our proposals together. When they come in for a design meeting, the way that the design meeting is run with the types of questions Tracy and the team are going to ask to the way we draft documents. So we can say we can get this turned around in the next six weeks. This is going to take longer. This is going to take shorter. If somebody needs to expedite it, we can really look at it because of Kanban and things and work in progress and workload. We can say somebody comes and says, you know, I'm terminally ill. I need this done in 10 days. I know what needs moved around and how possible that is to help or what other deadlines to say, we can't, we need to refer you out because we can't help you with that. We don't just say, yep, sure. Like we'll figure it out. It's a bit more planned than that. And that I think then de-stresses and makes us way less reactive. We're an uh, incredibly proactive law firm. And many people that I talk to, the legal field seems to be very reactive very kind of work right up to the deadline, get stuff out, ask for continuous or, you know, some kind of extension. 
we try to be way, way, way in advance on things. And I, that's more because of the planning that we do. Andrew's being quite humble and modest here. Uh, proactive law firm are, are words you never really hear in succession. Usually it is, oh, this was due yesterday, today. We need to get a continuance. We need to get this done. So the fact that, uh, that you describe yourself as proactive and how that's so is amazing. And it just it's another reason as to why it's worth the effort to set up your operations in this manner because ultimately it's the clients who benefit. They are the ones having that consistent, excellent experience. So they will come back, they will refer, they will repeat, and they will introduce you to new clients. And that's how this, this, this endeavor is supposed to work. So even if you won't say it, I'll say it. It is rare. You clearly do an excellent job at it. And the fact that you're about to expand into a second state, uh, there'll be a whole new uh, population benefiting. Uh, we are coming up on time. We have covered a good amount of work and a little bit about how you spend some of the weekends, but is there anything I didn't ask you that I probably should have today? No, I think that's the big one is that there's a lot of folks that are a bit closed-minded and they say this takes too much work. And as you grow, um, these things are exponential. You know, there's things where we may shave now one, two minutes, five minutes off a task. And if you five clients, that is not a huge savings. But now that we typically serve... 350, 400 clients a year. Um, and then you think, you know, engagement letters or something where there's a close rate. So we send more engagement letters than new clients. Maybe we send six, 700 or something like that. I can save two, three minutes on an engagement letter. That's a huge savings. If I can, a will that we're going to do 200 times this year, I can save four minutes. That is a huge time savings. And so you kind of have to think long-term things we did five years ago when we had literally, um, we were like, one-tenth the size we are today of revenue and things like that. You didn't have to set it up that way. You could just brute force through it, but then we wouldn't be where we are now. So I would just kind of tell people, like, if you've got the vision, you have to put that work in because otherwise you're going to create a lot of problems down the road once you're ready to grow, saying now we have to undo every bad thing we ever did. And that is a great point to leave us on, the ability to scale. Because the first answer, and unfortunately the answer most businesses have as well as throw money at the problem we'll hire somebody we'll just try to do this and if you're not addressing what's actually wrong or what actually can be uh, streamlined it's it's going to kind of just compound it instead of saving that four minutes every time you're just spending a little bit more until you can no longer uh, acquire those clients or you're pricing yourself out or your product isn't good enough so uh, Andrew this was excellent I I you and I are aligned on a lot of what you talked yep. about today. You, your engineering mind is probably far superior to mine, so I, I won't say that we're on the same page, but uh, I, I agree with a lot of the philosophies. I'm jealous of the 15 trips. That's something I need to work toward. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. This was a ton of fun. No, thank you so much. It was great.